All right. Um, evangelism. Review. What is evangelism? Sharing the good news. Sorry? Sharing the good news. Sharing the good news. It's what is it not? It's not necessarily inviting someone to church. Nothing wrong with that. We encourage you to do that. But that's not uh, a substitute for evangelism, is it? It's not an option. It's not an option. It's a mandate that God has given us. That's why we do it, right? Uh, we may have the best of intentions of seeing people repent and turn to Christ. Uh, we may want to see them follow the Lord and believers' baptism. We may have all kinds of motivations, but at the heart of it all, we have to want to be obedient to God and recognize that we've been commanded to do this, and that's why we do it. We don't do it to save anyone because it's not within our power to save them. It is only uh, our job to be available to the Lord, to be His uh, ministers of reconciliation. We're to tell we're to tell people we, we come into contact with what Christ has done for us, in us, through us, and, and what a difference he's made so that they might have thirst, like eating a salt block or, or licking a salt block does for livestock. It makes them, uh, drives them to water, you know, to drink the water. So we want our lives to be those salt blocks, effervescing with the gospel, so that people who are around us, see us, communicate with us, that they're driven to the living water, which is Christ. Evangelism is not just giving your testimony or not just giving somebody a track. Evangelism can be many things. That's right. I think that's an important distinction because now, again, let me say, I'm glad for you to do that. I would encourage you to do that. In fact, we still have some here if you didn't get uh, one of these handouts last week that was uh, about sharing Christ, uh, encouragements to do that. You're welcome to you can pass those around, and if anybody wants one of those, they can. We still have these uh, two ways to live tracks. If you didn't get one of those, you're certainly welcome to take those. We, we keep them stocked around here. And Kyle is exactly right. While these things are good tools, they're good things to do, if that's all you can do or all you have time to do or the opportunity is limited to doing something of that nature, then by all means, take advantage of it. Um, but it goes further than that. Think of evangelism as relationship building. It's building bridges to people and, and it's gaining credibility in their lives as friends you know people that they they grow in trust with that that uh, you express I mean we live in a culture today that's much different than it was 25 30 40 50 years ago and how private we've gotten and how uh, we're we tend to stand back away from people we don't give ourselves readily to new people and get acquainted necessarily we hide behind our garage doors, you know, we drive in, drop the door, go in, the doors are locked, We've got our fortress, nobody can get in, nobody can see us, and we're safe there. So evangelism in the culture we're living in today has to be a little bit more intentional in relationship building. 
you know, long gone. David could probably relate to this or Phil, and I certainly can go back to the days when I first began in the pastorate. It was nothing. Uh, every church that was worth its weight and salt had a an outreach night at church, and so we would have people that would come, the deacons and, and people in the church that were uh, desiring to be used in this capacity, and we would zone off the area around the church. You know, we'd have uh, different areas that we were familiar with, and you might go and just start down a street and start knocking on a door and introduce yourself and share the gospel. Interesting thing is, you can still do that in many parts of the world. Uh, I was in Lebanon about uh, oh, 10 or 12 years ago, and one of the most stunning features to me, being there for a, a long weekend on a mission trip, and they took us and trained us and told us that we could go out and cold call in that culture. Now, I'm, I'm comfortable sharing the gospel anywhere, anytime with anybody, glad to do it, want to do it, eager to do it. When they told me that, I'm going, we're in Beirut. And you're telling me I can just walk up to somebody's door, knock on it, and go in and share the gospel. And they said, that's right. What is cold call? It's a cold call. We don't know them. They don't know us. You know, if someone showed up at your door and knocked on it and said, hey, we're selling vacuum cleaners, that's a cold call. Or I'm selling insurance, that's a cold call. First time you meet, no previous relationship. So uh, we used to do that kind of thing in evangelism all the time, and people had a certain respect or built-in credibility for the church and religion and things of that nature, so they would at least have a conversation with you, and they would respectively, uh, respectfully listen to anything you had to share. Those days are over. You can't, today, um, I mean, we stopped doing that as a church here 10 years ago, probably. Uh, and the reason was because we had teams going out on Sunday afternoons and we were going to the homes of people who showed up and visited our church. And we couldn't get them to come to the door. You know, just because no one wants to be bothered, this is my time, you know. You show up, knock on my door. If I don't know you're coming, you could be anybody. You know, we've all had that happen. We go when the doorbell rings and you're not expecting somebody, don't you cringe? <laughs> Seriously, don't you cringe most of the time? I know you wouldn't, Kyle, but, you know. It might be a chosen Well, right, but that's why most people cringe. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not agreeing with it. I'm just saying it's just it. The people who do that stuff are not people you want to have the conversation with typically, Okay because they're a Mormon, they're a Jehovah's Witness, or they're selling new window treatments, you know, in the neighborhood, or shingles for the house, and you just don't want to have that conversation. That's the way we think. So the most effective way is actually the way the Bible has always said we should be doing evangelism, and that is as we go through the daily activities of our lives, we are living for Christ, and we're actively looking, intentionally looking for opportunities to turn conversations about Christ so that we can talk to people about what Christ is doing in our lives. If they see the joy of Christ, they see they see things in our lives that are different from the rest of the world, which as Christians they should be, then it gives us opportunities. It becomes a catalyst where someone may ask a question, but we don't sit back and wait for that. We should be looking to turn a conversation towards spiritual matters. You know, they're talking about sickness, it's a perfect time to turn the conversation and say, well, why do we have all this sickness? Well, 
It began with the fall, you know. We have a marred creation. It's, it's suffering under the disease of sin. It's under the curse of God because of it. And boom, you're right into the gospel, right? And on and on you go. And so this is, this is evangelism, building relationships, having conversations with people. And if you take this kind of approach to it, then you don't feel the pressure of, I've got to get from point A to point Z today with this person. And so I can check it off the list and say, I have evangelized today, you know? I got the whole thing. Uh, evangelism is beginning the conversation and knowing that, okay, Kyle and I work together. We're working, working in cubicles right side to side in most instances. Now, Kyle's probably not a good example of this, but in most instances, I know he's going to be there for a while, you know? So we're going <laughs> to... I couldn't resist. It was a little hanging fruit. <laughs> we... We know we're going to be there working together for days and weeks and months to come. So I can start the conversation today, and if I feel like he's not feeling it, or I sense he's not feeling it, I can back off and know that tomorrow or the next day I can pick it up again. But I start scattering some bread on the water in his life, start scattering some seed in the soil, and see what happens. And then I can build on that moving forward. Whereas, you know, some of the ideas we've had about evangelism in the past is that it's a self-contained one-off event you know that I gotta go out I gotta sit down with somebody that I've never met possibly or somebody I don't know very well I gotta get to know them in three minutes get into the gospel share the gospel with them and get them to repent receive Christ and schedule them for baptism and then we go back and we celebrate hey yay we did it okay we've done evangelism tonight again if it happens that way I'm okay with that but it's a little bit different uh, you need you owe it to people you owe it to the gospel i think to have more protracted conversations that that move forward and and are elongated as opposed to just one-off momentary things that come and go right hello come in we must be the place you're looking for are these friends of yours james yeah okay Come in and make yourself at home. James has saved you plenty of seats here. Um, so let's think about that a little bit from a biblical perspective. Acts chapter 16. We were in there, we were in Acts chapter 16 on Sunday talking about Lydia and her conversion. Okay? I want to move to the next episode right after that which is the story of the Philippian jailer remember Paul and Paul and uh, Silas are sharing the gospel uh, it's making an impact Lydia comes to Christ she's a trader she's a businesswoman in the area and evidently very good at it prospering at it so she's probably well known in the area and, and Paul and Silas, they're sharing the gospel, and it's kind of disrupting the community a little bit. It's, it's drawing attention. And what happens? You get opposition, and before you know it, Paul and Silas are dragged before the authorities. They're beaten, uh, soundly beaten, and then they're thrown into jail, and they're left there. And, you know, of course, the favorite part of the story for most people is along about midnight, Paul and Silas were singing praises to the Lord in this jail, there are wounds, open wounds in this uh, disease-infested uh, hole in the ground, which was a jail most likely. And, and God sends this earthquake. 
and flings open the doors of the of the jail and uh, it's pitch black dark and all the cells are open and if you're a prisoner you've just been beaten and and God opens the doors you're going to think that's a sign from God right telling you to do what get out it's time to pack the bag and go right and this is the way it worked the um, the jailer if anything happened to the to the prisoners in his charge if they escaped on his watch he, he had a death sentence he would have been killed so when this happened and the prisoners did not leave they stayed maybe led by Paul and Silas. We don't really have all the details of the story, but for whatever the reason, they didn't flee, but they stayed put. The jailer came in to see what happened. He saw the doors open, and he immediately takes his sword out. He's going to take his life because he knows it's gone anyway. And Paul and Silas cry out to him and say, don't do yourself any harm. We're all still here. Okay, a couple of things right there that got the jailer's attention, right? They didn't leave when they could have left. And they, they stayed put because they knew that this was something that, that he was responsible for. And so he is stunned by this. And he's so stunned by this that he brings them out and he says, tell me what I must do to be saved. Me and all my household. You know, so he sees this and he's struck by it to the point that he's drawn to the gospel and wants to know what's going on. Perfect example of lifestyle evangelism now hopefully you're not going to end up in prison this week being beaten and have to have an earthquake to open the doors and to get people's attention you follow me i, I hope that's not the plan for you and but if it is you do, sing praises sing praises to god and then Amen. follow then follow the opportunities as they come Amen. the the thing about it is 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 if you were looking at this from a perspective of mission you know, if we're talking about this as mission enterprise, we would have said the end of the evangelism ministry mission enterprise for Paul and Silas was the moment they got arrested and put into jail. Okay, the mission's over, right? But for God, that's when it escalated because he used the testimony of their suffering. He used the testimony of the the. the the tragedy that was the earthquake that threw the doors open and all the prospect of that was, he used those things to capture people's attention so they're ready to hear the gospel. Paul and Silas are just available and ready to be used. And they just stepped into each opportunity. Just sharing, why did this happen? Well, let me tell you why this happened. You know, this is, do, this is God's doing. And while I'm on that, let me just tell you what else he's done for you. And so he comes to Christ and all of his household. Um, so evangelism. This is evangelism. Now, I gave you an assignment a couple of weeks ago. We didn't get around to talking about it last week, about writing your personal testimonies. Who's done that? All right, good, good, good. Um, tell me what you learned. Did you learn? Well, first of all, did you learn anything? It was tough to write down. It was tough? Yeah. Why was it tough? Yeah. Okay. It helps you understand you're a lot worse than you think you are. <laughs> yeah. In a good way. This this is a uh, yeah this is a, a fair point and a good one. Anybody else? 
Audrey, did you get yours worked out? We talked for a good while last week after class. I think so. Okay. What we said about the testimony that's, that's key is a testimony ought to follow an outline before Christ, meeting Christ, and since Christ. Right? Not hard. part most of the time for people is they can sit down and write this out but they'll end up talking about before Christ a lot you know especially if you come to Christ older as an adult say or an older teenager uh, if you come as a child you may not have much to say and you may think your testimony is not worthwhile because well I didn't really do anything bad we kind of got this wrong view of the testimony right is that it's our story that convinces people they need Christ. So the emphasis falls on before Christ. I gotta build up how bad I was so that I can show the difference in how I am now. But that's not helpful, okay? But before Christ, scripture tells us we're all sinners, right? And that that's, that's a bad thing. I was having a conversation this week with someone and um, it was really, eye-opening for me, I guess. Uh, it's been a while since I'd had one of these particular conversations. This lady um, is into reincarnation and uh, so we're talking about uh, these things and I'm asking her questions about her what she believes. You know, what are your spiritual beliefs? Well, she's not sure. She's navigating through. She's searching for something, but she's not sure what it is, doesn't know what it is, and uh, she's looking for answers. She wants to figure things out, but reincarnation is what's captured her attention at this point in time. And so I'm trying to get the conversation on, you know, sin and how we know we're sin, but it's, it's a, only occasionally you have someone that will look at you and say, no, I'm good. My heart's good. You know, okay, I may think some wrong things occasionally, but my heart's good. I said, but don't you understand? Don't you see the dilemma there? Don't don't you understand that because your thought processes are bad, you may want to do what's good, you may think you want to do what's good, but basically we all serve ourselves. We all, we all turn ourselves into God uh, in our in our thinking. So before Christ, we think about the things that that have us out of kilter, and I had to take her to Romans. Romans uh, 3, 10, and 12, where it talks about there are none righteous, not one. I said, there's no one. No, but, but my heart's good. I am good. No. The Bible says, God says that you're not. You know, that we're rotten to the core. Uh, Isaiah says that all of our goodness is but filthy rags before God. She said, I don't want to hear that. I don't like that. And I said, well, none of us do. But if we're going to get where we need to go, we have to get to the truth of the matter, don't we? We have to be willing to admit that we've got this thing that's a, that's a huge problem between us and God. This is what before Christ is about. Is no matter what my particular testimony is, if I'm saved at the age of eight, I'm not you know, a hardened criminal in those first eight years of my life. But you know, I can talk about things I did do that nobody taught me to do. I disobeyed my parents. I, I was selfish. I was self-centered. And nobody instructed me how to do those things. Those are things that came you know, 
naturally because that's who my that's what my nature was. So before Christ, brief, just brief. You just give them a taste of that. Everybody understands this. Most instances, you won't have to spend as much time as I did trying to get somebody lost. You know, before you can get them get them to thinking about needing to be saved. But most people can relate to the fact that that they're not good and that there's a problem. There's something wrong with them which turns us to needing needing something that we don't have. And Christ is the answer to that. Uh, God says, in order for me to accept you, you have to be not good. And this is where I made some headway with this young lady when I said, okay, I'm going to concede the point that you think you're good. But let me tell you what God thinks. God says, good's not good enough. And it doesn't matter how good you are because good is only good enough to a certain level. God says you have to be perfect. Every moment, every breath, every brain thought, every word, every desire, everything in your life forever has to be perfect. There can be no sin, no sinful desires, no... To do that is less than perfect. And God says, I'm holy. I want you to be holy. That's the only way you have access to me, the only way we have a relationship. Then... The, you know, the penny began to drop. She began to understand. And the only way we can get there is not, we can't ever go back to being perfect because we have sin. I did get her to admit she had sin. I said, so you can never be perfect again once you sin. Except if somehow there's a way for someone to be perfect for you. Okay? Now we're at the big point. Christ is that someone. He came for that express purpose because she couldn't get past the fact that God is a judge and that God's going to judge that which is sinful. And I said, but the good news is you like judges. You want judgment. And she said, no, I don't want judgment. And I said, yes, you do. Let me give you an illustration. At your home, there are people who live in your home that are your family. Yes. I said, well, let's say tonight, God forbid this happens, but let's say someone comes breaking into your house steals things that don't belong to them that belong to you and does harm to your family you're going to be good and kind to that person and just say oh it's okay no they get caught and go to court you're going to show up and applaud right when they when they are sentenced to pay for the crime that they committed you do want judgment you just don't want it for you but the bottom line is that God says he's the only one who can demand judgment, justice for everyone else because he's the only one who's perfect without sin. So when he looks out across everything, he sees brokenness, he sees sin, and he says there's a price that has to be paid. Somebody has to do the time. And each one of us are the ones that have to do the time. And there's no avoiding it. Now, the beauty is, is that his justice has to be fulfilled but God's love is so great that there's a perfect tension in that justice and love to where he says, I'm going to exact the justice, but I'm going to forgive you at the same time. And I'll do that by becoming a man myself and taking your place, paying your price so that you can go free. Now the pennies are really dropping, right? Ah, this is what it means to meet Christ, is that 
there's an exchange that takes place. Christ came, did nothing deserving, sin, uh, deserving the justice of God, but willingly, being perfect without any sin, took the sin that I had, that you had, that we all had, and, and took the punishment from God for it so that God could say, you know what, I'm going to give you the righteousness of Christ, and he's going to take your sin if you will believe on him, if you will lean into him, trust in him, believe me, take me at my word, I'll do this for you. I'll impute his righteousness for you, and I will let you go free. You would think, what kind of love is this? Who, who would do such a thing for a sinner? This is right. This is exactly it, and this is the key point. You cannot appreciate or understand or even fathom that kind of love until you understand the depth of the justice that's due us. Until you understand the gravity of the sin that grips us, you cannot possibly appreciate and, and embrace the love of God that is so vast. And this woman looked at me and she said, why would he do that? And I said, isn't that a great question? <laughs> I said, because he's God. And his love compels him to do this, just as his justice compelled him to come and die for us so that he could have a relationship with us, that we'd be reconciled. Well, why didn't he stop it to begin with? Why did he allow sin to come? And I said, maybe he needed to remove sin, and this was the only way to do that and satisfy it all at the same time. If he just protected us from sin, it would have always been there as a possibility, right? There can be no love if there's not a free choice to love. Mm -hmm. You know you know how these bees are, right? You know, they, <laughs> these, these bees, you know, um, I, don't, I guess it may be true of all bees, but, but there, I know there's some bees that they can sting once, right? They sting once, and the stinger's gone. Yeah, the honeybee. They sting once, and the stinger is gone. So, you know, if someone takes, you know, if you've got a child out there playing around these honeybees, and this bee is bothering your child, you could theoretically put yourself in a position to have the bee sting you, and then the bee's no longer harmful. <coughs> it's no longer a threat to your child. And in some, it's a very poor analogy at best, as they always are, but in some way that communicates to us what Christ did for us by taking, he says, he took the sting of death, right? He, he took those things away so that we're no longer threatened by them. This is the good news. This is what it means to meet Christ. Then since Christ, you know, what, what, has, what difference has this made in my life since then? You know, that's when you can really brag on Christ moving forward. This is what the testimony needs to be. This is what it needs to say. This is, this is how you say it uh, to people. So your story, your particular version of this, is primarily for connecting with someone that you're talking to. Okay? You're trying to form a relationship with them, and so your testimony is a way of sharing something that's personal, which gains their trust. But this is where you want to get to, you know? 
we have to understand that sharing our testimony does not mean that our testimony is the big event here. And that's the problem that we've had in our churches for so long is that we focus on this before Christ because we think our testimony is worth doing the work. And it's not. Our testimony is just getting us access into someone's life so that we can share the gospel with them. Okay? So, keeping it succinct. Sometimes people have trouble because they sit down and write this and it ends up being three pages, you know. You know, you're going to lose somebody if you've got a three-page testimony, okay? Unless they're just somebody that really wants to soak up all the details. Or tell me everything. I want to hear it. I just love to hear you talk. You know? Tell me about when you were five. Tell me about when you were five. Yeah, you were a really bad guy then. Um, but no, you, you need to get to the... Before you run the risk, listen, if you start into a 30-minute three, four page, listen, the enemy's going to shut that down before you get halfway through it. You've given him a running start to figure out all the things he can throw in the mix to shut down any opportunity to share. So you want to build some trust here. You want to get to the point. You at least want to extend the opportunity to see what God's already been doing in their heart and life and, and are they ready to have this conversation. And so sharing the gospel early, just because you share it now, and if they don't respond in the way that you'd like for them to, that doesn't mean that your sharing with them is over, does it? You're just going to pack your bag and say, okay, sorry, have fun, I'm done with you. No, it's one opportunity. You've scattered some seed. You know, when I was growing up, my granddaddy always planted a garden. And I was the one that always got tapped to help. And I didn't work that hard, any harder than I had to. But I did learn some things watching. And we would, you know, it didn't matter what we planted. We'd plant corn or beans or anything. And one thing I noticed to them is that we would plant, and that stuff would come up, you know, kind of miraculously. It pops up in a couple of days, you know. And... And he just knew all these things. He'd been doing it for so long. But every once in a while you'd have, you know, if you didn't have the beans equally spaced, like you have two right here, two right here, two right here, two right here, you know, three or four inches between them. And he didn't measure them, but, you know, he, had, he knew where they needed to go. And so you have the beans coming up, and then you have a gap here. You know what he would do? We'd go back and reseed. We'd go back and put seed in the ground where there was gaps comes up a few days later so it's a little bit behind the others but you just keep reseeding and sometimes you get a whole bad seed that wouldn't come up at all one time some friends and I were planting uh, some crops to take to the farmers co-op to sell to make money and uh, these friends of mine they were going to plant some uh, sorghum um, you know would you get sorghum uh, honey type stuff from it squeezed out of the the reeds all right so uh, they planted it i went over and helped them with it you know it comes up it looks like corn coming out of the ground y'all was in the country weren't you yeah <laughs> we were we were sorghum one one of them's dad was a um an agricultural teacher in the school so you know he always knew all these things but what happened they didn't realize but this stuff comes up and it all looks just like corn and it looks just like any other 
stalk coming up um, for any number of things. So we go over, we're weeding, we're what they call suckering that, you know, pulling off the stuff that's just sapping energy from it. But when it, it got to a certain level, you know what they realized? They realized it was not the kind of um, reed that was going to be able to be used to, to get the sorghum honey out of, but it was just fit for silage. So it was just livestock feed. That's all it would ever be. So there's no money value at all in it. And all this work had been invested in it. You know? But the seed, the wrong seed had been put into the right marked bag. So we had to rip it up, sow it again. And that's what you do with the gospel. You, you don't give up on it, but you keep seeding. You know, If it didn't turn out good today, you realize that it, has, it may have a cumulative effect. You hope it does. So you keep seeding. You keep looking for opportunities to circle back and have another conversation with them. So personal testimonies, uh, they're good for that reason, but it's not your responsibility to save them. It's not your responsibility to convince them. It's your responsibility to be faithful and sharing and pointing them to Christ. Uh, so how do you prepare for this? How do you keep yourself prepared to be effective in this way? Well, you seek to be holy as God is holy. Scripture encourages us in that, in that way, so that makes us ready for His use. You seek to be alert to recognize divine opportunities. This is one I think that we, um, we fail in the most, is that we, we don't prepare ourselves daily to know that opportunities are going to cross our paths constantly. You know, you get to the end of the day, you should go back and just chart the number of people you've encountered. Okay? Like tonight, right here in this room, how many faces we have here? Now, the level of interaction may vary. Okay? But if you're out going to the market, you're going to the gas station, you're going, you know, to the department store or, you know, going to the tag office or the license issuing department of motor vehicles or whatever it may be, you're encountering people. You can't avoid it in this area, can you? They're everywhere. And most of us look at that as an irritation, don't we? Because they're always in our way. People are in my way. Life would be great if it wasn't for people. Right? Amen. You, know, you kind of feel that way. <laughs> we need to change that attitude and understand that these people are opportunities. Opportunities that God's put before us. That these people are souls God's created. Inhabited in these clay houses temporarily. And that they're on the same, they're on the same trajectory we are toward an eternity. Past this temporal world. And they're going to have to answer for how they prepare to spend that eternity. There's only two ways to spend it, right? Scripture tells us that it's either in hell with Satan and his demons or it's in heaven with Christ. And so our responsibility, because we know Christ, is to communicate to everyone else to help make them be ready so that they can spend eternity with Christ. Right? That's the way we have to look at it. I think that's um, our calling. There is a, I, I go swimming three times a week. Uh -huh. and, and there's this lady from China that I had seen. And you know me, I like to talk to people. This is so good. I love people. So I tell them, uh, so her name is Bonnie, and I, I just told her, you are a beautiful flower in the garden of God. Um, she's like, oh. I just invited her to come over to have 
a little laundry in my house, which is a, a mile away from the pool. And she's coming Great. from China. And you know, I, I pray, if you can pray for me, that, that I may, the Lord may use my life and use the right words for her to hear the gospel. Yeah, yeah listen, you can, you can release the pressure from off yourselves because you're sitting here thinking, okay, I got to do this, 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 and this. And if I do this, now if I do it just right, maybe God can use me. You need to erase that, okay? Stop worrying in those kind of terms. Walk with the Lord daily. Spend time with the Lord daily. Let Him tend to your life, you know, preparing your heart and your mind. You're in fellowship with Him. And then be available to Him. When these opportunities come, just be yourself. You know, and if Christ, if Christ is really the love of your life, if He is the affection that's driving you, then He should be bubbling up and bubbling over, right, for these conversations. They're going to want to know, what is it about you? They may not come out and ask you, but they're looking at you that way. Something different about you. You don't have to worry about getting it right. Get it faithful. Be faithful. Don't worry about being right. Now, that's not to say you shouldn't do a good job of preparing yourself so that you know how to share the gospel, answer questions. Do what you can in those opportunities, but don't worry about messing it up. God's a little bigger. You know, it's, it's kind of the same thing I feel about people that worry about the ozone. You know, the people that are always talking about, well, we're going to destroy the ozone. You can't be using that deodorant. Well, you know, listen, if it's the difference between destroying the ozone and going without deodorant, I'm for destroying the ozone, right? <laughs> you should do it. But I'm going, you know, look, if God put it all together, what makes me think I can destroy it until God's ready for it to be destroyed? If he wants it destroyed. Now, I'm not saying, again, we shouldn't be good stewards and faithful stewards of what God's made. But we overthink these things and we overestimate our own power and ability. we got to trust God and be used in His hands and allow Him to use us according to how He wants. Quit worrying about being, messing it up, not getting it right. You know, what if they get away and they don't get saved and it's all my fault? Well, so are you saying that if they got saved that it was all you're doing you, you see you can't have it both ways it, it, it's God doing it it's God's responsibility to do the saving our responsibility is to be obedient and sharing and making Christ known and leave the rest of it up to him and he's a faithful God that can be trusted with it I think even, that's a great point you made I think even 10 years ago we the royal we were still thinking that but I'm afraid today we're more worried about uh, interfering with our own personal comfort because I'm about to watch show seven on Netflix of whatever it is I've been binging. And that means I would have to stop doing this to go talk to somebody. Yeah. Well, let me help you with that. I'll give you a practical way to look at that. And, and I'm with you, okay? I'm task-oriented. I'm a task-oriented person. You know what that means? Task is important, okay? I got, look, I got 24 hours in the day. I've got somewhere for every minute of that day to be utilized somehow. And I've got this task, and I'm working on this task. And you walk into my office and say, hey, you got 10 minutes? <laughs> Would I do that? This, this happened today, by the way. So I'm picking on Kyle. 
I, okay, I'm going back 25 years ago. 25 years ago, you walked into my office and said, you got 10 minutes? I say, Kyle, can we do this later? <laughs> look, look, I got Bible study tonight. I got, you know, the dog threw up on the carpet this morning. I, I got these tasks that I got to get done. Look, let me work you in tomorrow. Can I do that? Or let me work you in down here. 10 minutes, I can do that on Thursday afternoon at 2.45. Can you do that? That's the way I think, all right? You have to come to the point that you realize that my time is God's time. And my schedule is God's schedule. And any task, I'm not saying you shouldn't be organized or that you shouldn't be productive. You know, I pride myself on being productive. I want to I want to get to the end of the day and say, hey, I got some things done today that, you know, needed to be done. I don't want to get to the end of the day and say it's just a waste. All right. Uh, so, but these tasks I have to understand belong to the Lord, and He He better be the one that I'm looking to and consulting with when I put this when I put this work plan together for my life today because I belong to Him, don't I? So, Lord, I'm Your servant. I'm not the boss. I'm the servant here. I'm the slave in this in this relationship. <laughs> So I may have this long list of things I think need to be done, but really I should be checking with you. What would you like to do today? Now, some of them may overlap, but, you know, I hope they would. I won't be pious enough to say they all overlap, but some of them should. So anyway, I'm, I'm putting this together, but here's what I have to understand. Maybe I got some tasks on here that were Jerry tasks that God said, you're not going to have time for that. I got something else planned. And I got to be willing to say it's not an interruption, it's an opportunity. When Kyle walks into my office today and says, hey, you got 10 minutes, I need to talk about something. I need you to be my pastor for 10 minutes. I need to be able to lay things down and say, sure, Kyle, let's talk. I'm going, I'm not, and I, I'm not always this way, but I'm much more comfortable in it today than I was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Now I get excited when that happens because I'm going, okay, I know. Because this is what I know. We, I know for sure we're no longer running the risk of being on Jerry's tasks alone. Okay? Because I didn't orchestrate this. I didn't plan this. God's orchestrating this. I may be over here stuck doing something that I planned and, and have missed what God had in store. But when God interrupts my schedule, that's always a great sign for me. And that's when I can go, okay, this is about to get good. Right? So I get away from the stuff. And I say, you know, it'll be there when I get back, right? So we, we don't see it as interruptions, but as opportunities, divine opportunities, divine appointments even, that God's put in our lives. And it, it will turn you into a more productive servant for the Lord if you take that attitude, if you tack that attitude. Now, I know there's sometimes you just can't do it. There's going to be a, a time or an occasion where you're in the middle of something you just can't stop. You know, uh, I'd love to talk to you right now, but you know, I'm on the clock, I'm working, and we're gonna have to schedule this some other time. My employer's breathing down my neck. <laughs> there are gonna be some of those times, uh, but God's, God's sovereign over those two. Okay, one thing to wrap it up we talked last week a little bit about prayer being essential, okay. Prayer is absolutely essential. If you're not praying, you're not going to be an effective evangelist. Okay? 
If you're not nurturing your walk with Christ, your relationship with Christ, you're not going to be an effective evangelist because anything you do is going to be contrived and it's just going to be by rote. It's not going to be bubbling up, effervescing because of this Savior that I'm walking with, this guy that is my Lord and my Savior that's making my life marvelous every day and I just got to tell somebody about it versus, okay, listen, I'm getting that you're lost. <laughs> Look, I'd rather do anything than this. I'd rather have my wisdom teeth taken out, but we're going to have this conversation now because if I don't, God's going to whip me all the way home, okay? We don't want that, do we? We're not going to be very effective if that's our attitude. But if you're walking with the Lord in this intimate relationship and He's working in you, His joy and His, His love for people, okay, then it's going to ever best. It's going to bubble up and spill over. So prayer is essential for that to happen. Praying for readiness, praying for people ready to hear, praying for God's spirit and power to make genuine converts, praying for divinely orchestrated opportunities. Finally, building bridges. This is where you have to be intentional. You can build bridges all the time. You don't have to have a gospel conversation to build a bridge with somebody. Making a relationship, a budding relationship, planting a seed that may germinate into a relationship, a friendship, where you can share in the future. You should have somebody that's ready to hear the gospel now that you're talking to, and somebody maybe that you don't even know yet that you're trying, hey, I'd like to get to know that person. You, I've seen that person at the store, and I've heard her ream out the butcher back there over and over and over. You know what? I need to make friends with her because she needs Christ, right? Really, you would do that? Absolutely. That's the way you, you do this. That These are the people that we, we need to be working toward. So what do we do? Be intentional about developing friendships and relationships, and while it's not absolutely necessary to do that, it is most often efficient and helpful. You can share just like a cold call where you encounter somebody for the first time. You should look for those opportunities to share, but know that building relationships is ideal. Sharing Christ effectively, we must be actively working on multiple fronts simultaneously. Things that are available and should be capitalized on, and this is what I want you to hear. Here's some, here's some things to put some grist in your meal, okay? How can I be intentional? Look at the people, your neighbors, people you work with, people that you encounter, that you find out a little something about. Look at the events and things happening in their lives, and these give you ready-made opportunities to connect, all right? Things like new babies, graduation, weddings, birthdays, promotions, awards. That's an opportunity. You pick up on it. Hey, happy birthday. What you had a, did you what did you do for your birthday? What did you get for your birthday? You start building that relationship. You can take that right down to, you know, well, I celebrated my physical birthday back in February, but my spiritual birthday's coming up. What is what are you talking about? Oh, sorry, glad you asked. You're into the gospel, right? But those kind of things, noticing things in people's lives that are important to them will gain you an opportunity to tell them something that's important to you. It works every time. Times of sickness uh, where they may need a visit or somebody to run an errand or send them a card or carry food to them. Our church does a lot of that, you know, within the confines of our congregation. And even neighbors uh, do that for one another. Times of stress. Somebody's lost a job, accidents, disappointments. 
times of sorrow, death, separations, family dysfunction, divorce, times of fun, community gatherings, events, recreation, times of community service, times of pressure, offering a helping hand to someone, offering some encouragement. This is life, isn't it? When you stop to think about this, these things are going on in everybody's lives all the time. What we need to do is be more attentive and more intentional. The opportunities are there. So with a little bit of initiative to say, hey, what were those balloons tied on your mailbox for? Somebody have a birthday? Somebody got a new baby? What's going on? Well, congratulations. Everybody likes to be congratulated on something going on good. What? You got your child's graduating from high school. Oh, my goodness. Congratulations. You have won the lottery, right? You got them through high school. <laughs> and everybody likes to have those conversations, and then the next one's a lot easier, you know? And they'll remember your name after you have that conversation, right? Or avoid you. What? Or avoid you. Or avoid you. <laughs> Well, if they avoid you, that's a good sign. That means they're nervous. <laughs> okay, any questions? So I have to go make friends with the angry lady at the butcher shop? <laughs> that's not, I didn't say you had to. Okay. Right. I said that would be a great opportunity if God leads you in that direction. Anybody? All right. See ya. Thank you, Pastor Jerry. My pleasure.